Let's get started by thanking our wonderful sponsors who make this show possible every week. We can't thank them enough. Age-Related Macular Degeneration, or AMD, is the leading cause of adult vision loss in the U.S. It affects 1 in 14 over the age of 40. When caught early, there is time to take corrective action. Ask your eye doctor to test your dark adaptation speed using the Adapt DX Pro from Maculogics. With more screen usage and indoor time, myopia, also known as nearsightedness, is increasing and getting worse in children. Now, certified eye doctors can prescribe MySight one day, the first and only FDA-approved soft contact lens to slow myopia progression in age-appropriate children. Visit coopervision.com to find a Brilliant Futures certified eye doctor near you. Welcome back to part two of my interview with Dr. Keith Smithson. In this episode, Dr. Smithson discusses specific vision therapy exercise techniques to enhance sports performance. If you're new here and you like our interviews, press like, subscribe, share, and hit the bell to get notifications of great new interviews. And please leave comments. You talked before about tints and changing light environments. How do you know what tint to pick for a different lighting environment? Sometimes I'll watch a football game and you know it's at night and I see a football player wearing a dark shield and it always surprises me how, how are they seeing good enough through that dark shield yeah it's a good question and I, I don't know that there's an absolute to that I think there is a bit of trial and error with that a little bit um, there's certainly athletes that you know will, will work with one thing I mean for us in spring training we have six weeks right so uh, when you're a Nike athlete or an Oakley athlete or an Adidas athlete they bring them a a trunk load of different glasses and they can go out and hit with each one for a day until they find the one they like. Um, but there is an absolute to it because, you know, each and, and golf's a perfect example, you know, tints would come out with different, you know, shades and, and, and Oakley would say, Hey, this is our golf tint. Uh, and Nike would come out with a purple filter and say, this is our golf tint. Uh, and then, you know, someone else comes out and says, Hey, this is our golf tint. So um, there's not an absolute to it. I think there's a bit of trial and error, but I think the, the main differentiation is contrast enhancing filters and, and filters that are basic sunglasses. So, you know, for us, an athlete in the outfield who's light sensitive just wants something to dim the vision. They're hitting balls that are, you're catching balls that are coming from a long way away. So reaction speed is really not their issue. It's blocking out sun and making sure they don't lose the ball in the sun. But now when you're at the plate, it's a whole different series because now you have three tenths of a second to process a 90 mile an hour fastball. I mean, that's faster than we can blink with the human eye. So three tenths of a second is something we don't have a lot of wiggle room in. So if we're working on tints and looking at enhancing the color red, that's, again, where we're going with contrast enhancing filters. And they can be slightly different from the ambers to the greens to the rose tints that we get in some of the hitting lenses. Um, and athletes will find what's comfortable for them. Uh, but it's simply blocking out those correct uh, colors so that we can enhance the colors we want. And in that case, it's enhancing red for us. So big deal in baseball. Fantastic. That, that brings us to baseball. Let's talk about different sports uh, specifically and start with baseball. What is the science to hitting a baseball? Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's really, again, maximizing the three different phases of the game. So making sure that we have good clarity. We talked about the 2012 benchmark. So making sure that our athletes are going out there with 2012 acuity. Uh, second phase is making sure that we have good muscular capability. Our eyes are tracking efficiently. We're judging distance and depth properly. Uh, our eyes are scanning properly. We're fixating properly, but we're, we're, we're seeing the target clearly. Then we're locating it in space. And then we have that decision-making phase, that processing phase that's fast enough to keep up with the speed of the pitch. And as I mentioned, the studies say we have three tenths of a second on a 90 mile an hour fastball to make that decision before it's too late. 
So if we can go in and buy the athlete a tenth of a second, you know, that gives them a chance to foul that ball off that they were going to miss uh, or put it in play if they were going to foul it off. There was a study done by Lou that showed that ocular motor skills predicted how well you could hit a ball. How do you feel about that study? And you think it's pretty accurate? Yeah, I mean, I think ocular motor skills are, are dramatically important. I think there's there's multitude of different facets out there as well, though. Um, and I think for me, it was a great study. I think anytime we can put numbers and metrics behind things, it, it gains acceptance in the overall medical community. Um, again, gains the importance of saying that every team should have a vision specialist on staff. Whether you're a high school, collegiate, or pro team, you should be consulting with someone that can maximize that visual aspect of the game. Because again, we can do all spend all the hours we want in the weight room, eat all the right things, and do all the practice we want, but if we're not seeing and tracking the ball properly, um, we're going to be limited in our success. So making sure that, that we're a part of the medical team uh, as a vision specialist standpoint, I think is critical. I interviewed uh, a former major league baseball player, Todd Dunn, who unfortunately lost his career because he got had a freak accident. He was standing behind the batting cage and the ball went through and hit him in the eye after having three life, major league lifetime home runs. And he was telling me that they used to use a machine that would throw a ball at 120 miles an hour when he was playing with the Brewers. And not so much that he were trying to hit it, but they would look at letters on it or lines on it or colors and try to identify it. Can you talk about that skill? And what was the machine that they used? Yeah, so they, they essentially used a pitching machine. So the, the pitching machine can be turned up to all kinds of different velocities. And, you know, having different sets of balls, we do the same thing. We have, you know, our standard baseballs, but then we have baseballs with different symbols on them, different colors on them. Um, and again, you're tracking different targets. We had a, a guy who used to play with us, Daniel Murphy, who was a huge vision training guy um, and had brought in a lot of different things. One of the best hitters in Major League Baseball at the time. Um, and he would have different colored balls on the on the plate in front of him where he would identify where the ball crossed the plate. So did it cross the plate at position number one or position number four? So he's watching where the ball crossed the plate. And then he was calling out what was on the ball when he was actually hitting it. Um, and again, you can use a, a fast pitching machine or you can simply step closer as a as a pitcher. Uh, and a lot of times our, our, our hitting coaches are the ones throwing batting practice. Now they're throwing from halfway the distance between the mound and the hitter. So they're getting, again, a quicker speed to the pitch because it's coming from a quicker or a shorter distance. So it's the same kind of effect as pitching a, a faster ball. Um, and ultimately, yeah, I mean, it's, it's just making it so much more difficult uh, in the training environment that the real world becomes easy. So we talked about the strobe training glasses before. And in that case, you're talking about taking away visual information to speed up the processing angle. Well, in this case, if you can speed up the pitch itself, you're giving you know a, an extra bit of difficulty in the speed and the velocity of the pitch. So that now, if you're hitting a 120 mile an hour pitch and you go back to 90, you know it seems like holy cow, this is uh, it's like hitting a softball. So, you know, kind of speeds up the brain again with the eyes and fixation and tracking involved as well. Well, tennis players could serve 140 miles an hour, and and players hit it back. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean, they're getting there. And, and again, they have to read topspin and kind of get an idea of what's going on with, with the ball that's coming that way. Um, you know, for the most part, though, you know, you're getting the racket in the right place at the right time. You're, you're, you know um, whether where the, the, the serve is coming. But, you know, tennis is, again, a great sport. We're talking about vision and vision training. There's been some research on that. Um, you know, we do a lot of work. We just actually published something for the, the officials in, in tennis because it's so difficult to judge if it was in or out sometimes you know, with the balls moving that fast. Um, so yeah, for me, tennis is another great opportunity for vision training. My son loves Soto. He loves watching him hit. He's such a, he's such a young guy and he's such an amazing hitter. Rendon was such an amazing hitter. 
do, they, do these guys have visual skills so much better than the general population uh, that they're able, obviously they're great athletes. So you have to be a great athlete first, but their visual skills, when you compare it to a regular person, is it way off the charts? Yeah, I mean, I, I would say in general, a lot of our professional athletes have vision that's off the charts. There's studies to say that, that, that you know, the, the visual skills of some of these elite athletes are just almost superhuman, whether they had that innately or they've actually trained themselves to that point. You know, it is truly impressive to see the things that they do. And again, uh, they're better than me in just about every facet of life. They run faster, jump higher and uh, hit balls harder. But um, the visual skills are always impressive to see in some of these people that are just uh, really superhuman. And it, it's special to be around people like that, that you're getting to see them blossom into the, the players that they're going to become. And it's, uh, uh, it's a special privilege to be around people that, that are that quality of people uh, that are also that amazing quality of athletes. But um, the other thing that's actually interesting is there were some studies done recently on e-gamers, you know, the people that are professional, you know, video game players that have some pretty impressive visual skills. And some of the things that they do in a virtual environment or a video game environment are sometimes equal or better than the athlete actually playing that sport on the field. So these e-gamers are pretty impressive in their visual skills too. So would you uh, discourage uh, kids that are athletes from playing video games? Yeah, I mean, I think that's a lost cause at this point, right? So uh, yeah, at this point, video games, uh, we, what do we say as parents? All in moderation, right? You know, right. making sure you're taking some breaks, getting outside and uh, breathing a little bit, wearing some blue blocking glasses to protect yourself on the digital devices. But um, yeah, I mean, they're, they're definitely... Some of these things I think are, are visual skills enhancing at this point. So, you know, being able to put yourself in a VR environment, being able to put yourself in, you know, multiple object tracking games and, and reaction games um, in multiple different video game platforms, uh, I think are probably beneficial if they're, if they're done in moderation. So does that hopefully bridge the gap between making the kids happy and the parents happy at the same time? How many times a week does somebody and for how long have to use the strobe glasses to see an improvement? Yeah, so the studies we I mean we get we 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 base everything we can on research and studies if they're out there and available and, and studies on, on strobe training are quite robust. So um, they tell us basically three times a week for 15 to 20 minutes is the protocol we want to use. Um, so again, that's where the flexibility comes in and talking with the athlete or their trainer or their strength and conditioning coach about the different drills that you might want to do with them. Uh, but following that three times a week, 15 to 20 minutes uh, is what makes a difference and allows the athlete to maintain that level of improved visual skill for their sport. Is there anything to eye dominance? Yeah, it's a cool thing to talk about. Um, you know, I think it's something probably relevant in shooting sports for sure. Uh, we have a lot of different professional shooters or elite shooters that, you know, eye dominance is critical to them shooting um, variety of different, you know, types of weaponry. Um, but, you know, in professional sports, it's not that critical. Um, there were studies out there that said it really wasn't all that important and, and or that predictive as you know, right-handed, left-handed, and your right eye, left eye dominant. Used to be thought that as a right-hand hitter, being left eye dominant was an advantage because that eye was slightly closer to the mound. Um, but what we really find is that the depth perception, the reaction, the, the, the ability of the eyes to work together is the most critical component. So the athletes that actually kind of drop their chin, they have a, a hat that, you know, their brim is kind of covering that front eye or whatever. And sometimes these little, little league players, you see these big giant hats and it's kind of covering one eye. You know, so the point is, if their eyes can be pointed at the mound, both eyes are locked onto the release point. They're, they're seeing the process of the pitch. They're reacting to the process of the pitch and they're using their eyes together as the most effective unit possible. That's the most critical, most predictive thing to the study you just mentioned about ocular motor skills, uh, not eye dominance. So is that one of the reasons players now use an open stance so, they're, so they can see the, the ball with both eyes so they're not cutting off one of their eyes? 
Yeah, you mentioned uh, Anthony Rendon, and if you look back at his batting stance, he's a very open stance and a guy who really is literally turning his head to face the pitcher. So, you know, it, it, yeah, it, it gives a, you know, the right hitter the right ability to see that release point in its actual best. Uh, and so, yeah, you see a lot more of that these days because I think the relevance is there. And you know, we've had, you know, some really cool conversations that we'll post on Sports Vision Pros pretty soon with some uh, Hall of Famers that, you know, learned that lesson back, you know, years and years ago. Uh, and you see the, 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 the really good hitters kind of a lot of times had a bit of an open stance and you just kind of thought it was, you know, something unique to what they were doing. But uh, maybe they figured out something before we did. My son has an open stance and then he'll try to close his stance and he keeps keeping it open. But, you know, I said, leave him alone. It's probably because he could, he, he's using both his eyes. He had a little bit of a better death perception because of that. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. You, you talked about the neuro tracker. Can you explain what that is? And does that have a training program on it too? And, and what part of the uh, skills does it train? Yeah. So neuro tracker is a very cool Canadian program uh, built on multiple object tracking. So, um, it can be done in a variety of different formats. We have a, a virtual head-mounted unit that we can hook up to a laptop so we can do it in a training room. Uh, we also have it on large flat screen TVs that are all 3D capable. Um, so essentially there's multiple moving targets. You're tracking multiple targets at the same time. There's a memory and a cognitive component where the colors of the balls change. There's numbers put on the different balls and you have to remember the balls you're tracking. Uh, then they all go to the same color. They continue to move around and you have to remember where those target balls were. So, you know, it's based on concepts of multiple object tracking. It's based on concepts of visual process, attention span. Um, and it, yeah, it's a great little program. It's something that we can do uh, divided attention tasks with. So we can have this thing up on the wall and do multiple object tracking while we're juggling a soccer ball or throwing a football or doing some mechanical task. We can put them on a reaction uh, board. We can have them on a BOSU ball. We can have them doing some core stability and balance drills that that strength and conditioning coach might want to work on with them. Um, sometimes it's great to do during rehab. You know, a lot of times our athlete who's uh, you know injured an ankle or a knee or something, they're going through rehab. Uh, there was a study on actually ACL recovery and stroke training glasses, actually improving pace of recovery in ACL because they tend to focus on the task you're asking them to do. But a lot of times the, 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 the training staff will tell you, hey, this guy's driving me nuts. He's trying to get back on the field. He's not ready. So can you give him something to do? Because we got to keep this guy engaged. He's just driving me crazy. So, you know, to me, I think that's a, that's a, that's a double benefit. Number one, we give him some things to do that he might not have been comfortable with. Um, but it also, in the things like baseball, a lot of times we'll go back to what we call a rehab stint. So, you know, they're getting back to coming, you know, back and being healthy. And we say, all right, well, let's go down to the minor leagues and play a couple of games in the minor leagues to get your timing back, to get your timing at the plate, get yourself comfortable before you come back up here to the major league level. Well, if we can do things like visual training and keep that eye and the visual system efficient and processing information quickly, tracking targets quickly, focusing on targets well, then maybe we can keep that part of the body sharp while the rest of the body then still has to kind of recover through their strength and range of motion and everything they're ready for. Now, once the training staff says, okay, now we're ready for that rehab stint, maybe that rehab stint can be shorter because we kept them sharp from a processing and vision standpoint. It doesn't take two weeks to get them back to the major level. Maybe it's a couple of days. Maybe they get two or three days and they're already crushing the ball, feeling good, and we get them back up sooner. So a lot of times with guys during rehab, we'll put them into vision training because they're looking for something to do, number one, and we're hopeful that it's actually shortening their rehab stint anyway. How, that brings us to game sense because that's good for rehab. If you could explain that, I saw an interview that you did with one of the doctors at game sense. I'm not sure if he was the one who developed it or not. Uh, if you could explain what that does, the advantage, how it could help our, our baseball players. Yeah. So game sense is a program. We talked about a little bit like the visual edge and HGS programs that are more kind of muscular in nature, kind of a physical skills building program. 
GameSense is one of those that's kind of more neurological. It's actually a pitch recognition program. Uh, so you actually can go on and face live pitchers. Um, you see video of a pitcher in a release point, and you're trying to identify what the pitch is. Is it a, is it a fastball, a curveball? Is it a ball, a strike? Uh, and again, so you're speeding up that pitch recognition uh, and that decision-making phase. Uh, and it's great because you can select your, your level of sports. You can select you know, whether or not you're going to face a big hard-throwing lefty tomorrow night or you're facing a right-hander who throws a lot of off-speed pitches. So you can kind of go in and pick the guy you want to go against. Um, and so again, for me, GameSense is a great little program. It's, it's helpful. It's something that is a training component to the neurological side of the game. Um, some of the research from Boston University and things like that. Uh, Dr. Sajkowski has done a lot of work on, on vision process with hockey and goalies in Boston University. So they brought a lot of that into the development of GameSense. Uh, and then again, there's, there's things in VR now that, that take that to a whole different level where you're actually swing, swinging a physical bat on a target that's coming at you just like a pitch. So, you know, there, there, a lot of these are compounding technologies where we're learning some things and building newer, more robust training platforms um, that use those technologies at a whole different level. So for me, I love GameSense. My son actually uses it quite a bit. Um, you know, he's kind of my test market because he's, get, he's got his own training room at home. He's like pretty much anything I have in here, he's got at home. But, you know, he, he kind of intermixes and he'll use all these different things in his basketball season, uh, baseball season. My, my daughter's a volleyball soccer player. So we got a lot of balls bouncing around our house. And uh, for them having the vision training pieces of it, um, it's something that I see on the field with them, which is actually pretty cool. You mentioned visual edge. How does it work? What does it do? Can it be used for training? Yes, it's pretty much primarily for training for me. I mean, I would tell you that it is something that, you know, there are scouts out there that use visual training um, as, a, as a predictor of success. So they actually use visual edge sometimes to run a profile on a prospective, you know, draft pick or something like that and, and get an overall score of their visual skills, you know, on this online profile. Uh, but yeah, I, I personally use it more as a training component. So uh, it's something that has multiple facets to it. Uh, once you essentially run an online profile, um, then you can go in and do, um, you know, eye tracking and saccadic movements so those scanning skills we talked about. You can do those virgin skills, those kind of depth perception training skills. And now there's a contrast version as well. So we can actually train contrast through that site as well. So it's all on that Visual Edge platform. And again, we have, we have resources that you can go to and learn more about that on our website and Sports Vision Pros too. That VR that your son uses to help his hitting, do you think it's effective? Do you think it, it really helps? I do. I, I think it's really exciting. I mean, I think it's something that's the most realistic environment that they can get to, um, you know, without actually getting out there and hitting a pitch. And, and I'm not always home from work in time to get out back and throw some pitches with him. So if it's an off practice night for him, uh, it's a nice supplement. Obviously, I think there's still nothing to be you know, beaten by getting into the cage, swinging, making contact with the ball, feeling your hands and the sting of the bat and all that kind of things. But you know, it, to me, I always say it's what you do off off practice days that make you the athlete that you are, right? So I preach that to my own team that I coach is, you know, when I'm out here coaching and teaching you things, it's because I want you to take them home and do them on days that we're not here for practice. So the things he does in his bedroom by himself, I think, make him better when he gets onto the field. And I think VR is is a great opportunity for that. And what's the name of that program again? You mentioned it before. So there's a couple of them. Uh, Neuro Trainer is actually sort of a program similar to Neuro Tracker, but done in VR. Uh, so they have a program called React. Uh, which is a pretty cool one. Uh, Win Reality is a baseball-specific program. Uh, Sense Arena is a hockey goalie-specific program. Uh, there's some other ones that are going to be coming out that are kind of multi-sport and some things like that as well. So I think there's a, a lot of opportunity for things uh, to be done in VR um, to really kind of carry over to, to what happens on the field. Whether or not there's actually studies and research behind them is always kind of the question because some of these are video game companies. They don't care so much about doing research. They care about building something that's fun to play. But uh, sometimes when you taste medicine that doesn't taste bad and you, oh, 
I'll take that, but it still still gives you the benefit. You know, it doesn't have to taste bad to work, I guess is what I'm trying to say, right? So sometimes it doesn't have to be boring. It can actually be a fun game and still have some relevant uh, visual skills improvement too. How about visualization? Do you use that with your players? The major league players use that or professional athletes use it? Yeah, I would say they do. I mean, that actually kind of falls a little bit outside of my arena. We actually have mental coaches and people that have been doing things through the military and, and things that way where they, they can work on their mental skills, their imagery, their ability to stay calm and composed in the box and their ability to visualize things. So uh, to answer your question, yes, it's definitely used, but you know, that says, fall, falls a little bit more in the sports psychology side. You talk about your visual pyramid. Can you explain that? Yeah, so the visual pyramid is something, again, done by uh, our good friend, Dr. Kirsten, Dr. Glavi, that kind of pioneered this thing that said, you know, if we're doing a visual skills assessment, we should start with the foundation of the pyramid, which is, you know, kind of the, the, the clarity of the target, the ability to see the target well, as we said, with the tints, the contrast, the filters, the enhancements, and the clarity. And then the, the middle level of the pyramid is really looking at their muscular skills and being able to evaluate um, you know, how efficiently the eyes work together. And then on the top of the pyramid, you're talking about that connection neurologically between the eyes and the brain. You know, the eyes really are just a satellite dish. All they're doing is collecting information. It's got to travel back through the optic nerve, get to the brain, be processed and tell the body what to do quick enough to do it, right? So at the very tip of the pyramid, you have that integration uh, of, of the way that things are actually coming out of that motor, motor output. So, you know, that's really the, the vision testing pyramid and something we use and, and talk about quite a bit. And the technology that's coming out and where is it fitting into that piece of the pyramid? What type of training and skills are we assessing or training with the technology? Is it a level one, two or three kind of technology? Maybe it has multiple carryover effects. Um, it certainly, you know, kind of forms our testing, uh, our training protocols. Um, and it's something that, um, you know, is a great, great way to explain sports vision. How about for pitchers? What, what, what skills, the visual skills the pitchers have to have? I assume fixation it would be one of the major ones, but uh, if you could help us with that. Yeah, so, I mean, for me, pitchers are the, the, the lost uh, sheep out here. These are the ones that people don't think about and talk about. We all talk about hitting and how well it is, to, how, how important it is to have good visual skills for contacting the ball and hitting the ball. Um, for me, I do exactly the same test for pitchers as I do for hitters. And the reason why is because I think those same skills are really critical for keeping them safe. So, you know, at the elite level, the pro level, obviously for us in the National League, our pitchers are still hitting. So, you know, they are still hitters. Um, at least they were. We'll see what happens with the major league baseball rules. But, you know, we, we still have hitters. Um, but the, the biggest thing is the comebackers to the mound and how quickly the ball is coming back off of a bat uh, at, at their head, at their face. And you mentioned, you know, fractures of orbits and injuries and things like that earlier. Um, you know, we, how many times you see that scary scene of that ball coming back and striking the pitcher and he drops uh, like a lead balloon and, and, you know, you're laying there just looking at the most horrible thing you've ever seen. I actually make my son wear sports safe glasses on the mound when he's wearing contact lenses anyway, because I want him to be protected. Um, so reaction skills, um, you know, that processing speed, the ability to get the ball, make a quick decision. When you have a guy breaking for home off third base, coming off first base, you get the ball, you're fielding it. You're now become a defensive player. What are you going to do with the ball? Um, is the processing linked to it, but the reaction speed and getting the glove up in front of your face to protect you from those comebackers to the mound, I think are critical. And how about safety? Let's talk about that. You know, when do you think we'll see the little leaguers wearing safety glasses because they don't wear them? Yeah, they don't. I mean, you know, if look, if I, if it was a perfect world, every person playing any contact sport would have safety glasses on all the time, right? I mean, it's, it's, it's a pie in the sky. It's never going to happen. We all know that, but you know, there's certain sports that mandated, obviously like racquetball and indoor sports and things like that. We know wearing eye protection is important. Lacrosse is one of those other ones, you know, female lacrosse is eye protection mandated in most states and such. 
So eye protection, I think, is critical, especially when the ball is small or if we have a sport where there's no protection at all, like the NBA, uh, WNBA. We have flying fingers all the time. There's a lot of eye injuries that happen because there's just literally no, no protection, right? Football has that nice big face mask and shield in front of them to keep the fingers away from the eyes. Uh, but protection for me would be great if everyone wore glasses all the time to protect themselves. Not necessarily the old sports goggles, but some kind of sleek sports safe glass that wouldn't fog up and would be protective. Um, but you know, it's not gonna happen. So I think for me, visual skills uh, for protecting the eyes are critical. Um, if someone is wearing glasses, making sure that they're sports safe, making sure that your optometrist you know, gives you good direction on a sports safe pair of glasses. Uh, we know that injuries sometimes happen more because of breaking a dress frame that they're wearing into the classroom and they're wearing that same frame to play baseball on the weekend and that frame is not set for an impact uh, of, a, of a ball or an elbow in a soccer game. So making sure they have sports safe frames if they are wearing glasses, um, but studies out there like the University of Cincinnati that says that you know, visual skills enhancement can be important for injury prevention overall. You know, injuries like concussion and things like that. So you know, they did a six year study. They did three years with no vision training. They did three years with a, a robust vision training program with multiple different technologies. And they found a significant reduction in concussion rates and injury rates. So you know, the, the thought was these athletes are now seeing the game quicker. They're making quicker decisions. They're avoiding the contact or the blow, or maybe it's more of a glancing blow as opposed to a direct contact. So by enhancing their visual skills, they were able to keep their athletes safe. So I think you know, enhancing the visual system is important. Having sports safe glasses, if glasses are necessary, is important. And then obviously injury uh, management is something we do quite a bit you know, as a sports team position as well. How about basketball? Let's, you have a lot of basketball players out there that'll be listening to this. And they're looking at different levels. You know, they'll be dribbling, they're looking, looking down, looking up, you know, rebounding. What different visual skills do they need that maybe a baseball player doesn't? Yeah, so that's a great point. And, you know, we, we've had some exciting times down here with the WNBA championship in 2019 with our Mystics. So pretty cool for that, too. Got to pick up a lot of nice shiny things these last couple of years. It's been cool. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that's a great point because, you know, I look at athletes that you know are training in different sports and making sure that we're putting together a training program that's relevant for them. So as a point guard, they're looking at multiple moving targets. We talked about like a neuro tracker program where you have the multiple targets. They have to look at passing lanes and things like that versus maybe one of our, our big players that are playing down in the box. Uh, and maybe they're more you know, important you know, having good peripheral awareness because they're seeing the, the defenders kind of collapse on them. Um, they're having that, you know, not necessarily depth perception being the most critical thing because they're only six feet away from the basket. Our three-point shooter would have to have that good enhanced depth perception, but maybe the, the underneath players are looking more at peripheral awareness. They're looking more at reaction speed to kind of catch the ball quickly and get it up. Um, and to your point, if you're looking up, down, and sideways, you know, we make sure that if we're doing a vision training drill, let's say we're using strobe training glasses, we're doing a toss and catch drill, uh, but we're talking about basketball, maybe we want to do a lot of work in up gaze because a lot of their work is up gaze. If we're dealing with a soccer player, most of their world is down gaze. So we want to make sure that they're looking down and doing some of their training. If they're a goalie, we put them in their goalie position and their posture so that they're doing a reaction drill, but they're not standing upright because they never stand upright. So, you know, how do we put them in something that's going to make a sport relevant for them? I think also engages them to the fact that this seems kind of like my sport, as opposed to having them do something that's just a vision drill that seems kind of fun, but doesn't seem relevant to my sport. I think you lose a little bit of buy-in sometimes that way with an athlete. You want it to look like what they do. We talk about the, the quarterbacks, they put on the stroke training glasses, drop back in the pocket, make passes, make throws. They're doing their game with a visual skill that's now being trained with a technology that they can use on the field. And that's where you got to make that connection and say, hey, I get this. this. This seems like my game. It's making my game harder so that during the actual game, it's easier. That's the connection we're looking for. 
Do you think juggling helps athletes? Yeah, it's something I can't do, but yeah, I, I've seen a lot of athletes that that, feel that, that really does, is a great little thing. It's a great little skill. And we have this thing called a vision ring that we use a lot. It's in pretty much every one of our locker rooms uh, that I work with. And it's a simple little drill. It has you know little balls on it and we throw the ring back and forth. We try to catch the right colored ball. You know, it's kind of like juggling with a friend. Um, so things like that, you know, the simple ball tosses and catches are, are great little warmups. The tough thing uh, from a medical standpoint is there's no research behind any of that stuff. So as a clinician, you can't stand on that when you're talking to, uh, we have a lecture on uh, two days with the American College of Sports Medicine with you, know, our colleagues in the orthopedic and sports medicine physician field, and they want to hear where the research is. So you can't say, throw some colored balls at people. And it, it's, you know, it's kind of a fun thing to do. And it seems anecdotally like it should work. Uh, but without studies and research behind it, we kind of leave it as something that you can do. Um, but, you know, myself personally, I tend to promote the things that I can stand on science and feel comfortable about. How can we help our golfers out there? Yeah, so golf is a great one, right? I mean, you're talking about a static sport. So he, we talked about dynamic acuity earlier, wouldn't be relevant in golf. Um, but we certainly want to be able to judge pin location. We want to see where the target is. So that depth perception component is really critical. Um, you know, is it really 120 yards out or is it maybe 100 yards out? So judging where the pin is. Uh, looking at break on the greens when we're putting, you know, is that really breaking to the right or left? Can we read that green perfectly? Do we have the right tint and filter on in our glasses to be able to read the green and judge the shadows and the lighting on that? Um, so I think there's a lot of pieces that go into golf. I mean, golf is another one that has, you know, pretty much every toy in the world, right? You look in the back of a golf magazine, you got 20 pages of different toys that are going to make you a better golfer. Same kind of thing as the baseball, right? I mean, those are the two sports you hear the most about enhancing vision with. So, you know, I think from our point, from as, as a clinician, you know, you maximize the visual skills, just like we said with everything else. You just have to be conscious of the sport. And if you're working with athletes, know a little bit about each sport. And if you don't ask, you know, if you've, you've never played cricket before, ask them what cricket is. What do you have to do in cricket? You know, if you've never played pickleball, you know, tell me a little bit about your sport and what the size of the ball is, what the color of it is, what the lighting condition is you play in. And as vision specialists, then we should be able to administer the right tests and provide the right solutions if they can help us understand their sport better if it's a sport we don't know. It's fixation very important for putting? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's, there's some great work that was done. Uh, Joan Vickers up in Canada did this thing called the quiet eye where she looked at fixation and the ability to judge with both eyes or one eye and looking at the target. So great research to look up, um, but really cool stuff and, and really told a lot about you know predictive you know, nature in putting specifically. So that was really cool. You talked about soccer before to help our soccer players. I know jo Johnny Northeast is a very big fan of sports vision. Yeah. What are some skills in soccer that maybe we didn't mention that could help our soccer players? Yeah. So for me, you know, soccer is a, is a very dynamic game, right? There's a lot of multiple moving targets. So we talked about multiple moving targets a couple of times. Um, you know, it's a decision-making game. So there's no timeouts. There's no breaks in action. You don't get to call a play like you do in football. Um, so you got to have some quick decision making. The ball's moving over long distances, so judging distance and depth and uh, jumping up for a header or having a perfect volley. Uh, you may see the target clearly and say, well, boy, I've never needed glass or contacts before. But if we have an issue in depth perception and judgment, um, then we have a, you know, a, a, an effort that's not going to be fulfilled as far as striking the ball properly on goal. Um, and then again, I, I think you know, the goaltenders are obviously something where goalies kind of speak their own language. Uh, we're going to put something on Sports Vision Pro is actually pretty cool about uh, we did a goalie summit between our uh, hockey and, and soccer goalies where they talked about some relevance between the two, which is really cool. Uh, because kind of goalies speak their own language and they know that, you know, reacting to targets and eye-hand coordination and things like that, uh, even though we don't use eye-hand coordination for any other part of soccer in, 
in goalie, it, it is, it's really relevant. So those kind of things are, are I think, really big aspects to soccer. Um, we had some interesting conversation with our colleagues overseas a couple of years back where they kind of had a difference of opinion of maximizing clarity. They felt like their athletes, and this is a UK practitioner that I was working with back then, as you mentioned, Johnny, who's a, you know, a good advisory board member for us in Sports Vision Pros uh, and a sports science uh, guy and, a, and a, a physio guy over there with, uh, with, with the UK soccer. And they were sort of saying, you know, we try to undercorrect our athletes because if they see too clearly, they tend to focus too pinpoint on what, we're, what they're looking at. We want them to have a more global view of the field and have kind of a softer focus. So they actually encouraged underprescribing their athletes to keep them a little bit like we would consider blurry looking at a 2020 target. Maybe they're only 2030, but they see a little bit more of the field because they're not so laser focused into the target they're looking at. Thought it was a really cool concept. So something, you know, I think would be neat for studies and research out there as our fellowship in Sports Vision Pros allows people to do research, publish things. We have the Journal of Sports and Performance Vision, which is a great avenue for people to publish research out there. And it's really cool to hear concepts like that because it's so foreign for me when I have people coming in every day going, well, am I 2015? Am I 2020? To have someone say, no, 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 we don't want to be 2020. I thought it was kind of cool. So it, it, it opens your mind and kind of blows your mind a little bit. But I think the last thing about soccer is that, you know, injury prevention is such a huge thing. The concussion is such a massive um, problem for us. Sometimes it's sports, even at different levels. I see a lot of high school athletes with concussion in, in, in soccer. So, you know, going through that same University of Cincinnati uh, football study on concussion prevention, I'd love to have visual skills as a part of any youth soccer team, any high school soccer team, doing some vision skills drills with holding up numbers or, you know, different peripheral awareness things, turning over your whole shoulder, you know, using just basic vision skills in a team you're training and working with could help keep some of these athletes safe. So I think that's where I'd like to make the connection too, is keeping these athletes on the field. And with football, I, I saw an interview, I guess, I think you did it with Trent Murphy. Mm -hmm. He's just focused on one little, one little thing because of the position that he plays, which is different than, say, a wide receiver or running back or a quarterback. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, had a great run with the Bills last year. I mean, super awesome guy, super smart guy, went to Stanford. Um, you know, he's always been super engaged in sport vision. So, yeah, for him as a lineman, you think, oh, you're a lineman, you're just hitting the guy in front of you. But he's got to make a lot of decisions about the blocking schemes, where people are moving and where they're rotating on the field, where he needs to put himself to be successful. Um, so yeah, it was, it was really kind of cool and enlightening to hear, hear what he has to say too. I thought it was really interesting when he said, see a little, you see a lot. Yeah. What does that mean? Yeah. I mean, I think it's, 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 you know, maximizing the information that you get. Right. So sometimes it's those little cues, you know, they talk about, you know, it's turning his hip or turning his shoulder or showing something and seeing something that just tells you, I know what's coming next. Um, you know, a lot of, there's a study that was done. Um, you can look at NeuroTracker site on, um, karate guys, you know, you know, junior karate guys and Olympic level karate and judo fighters um, using something like multiple object tracking and think, well, multiple object tracking, you're just hitting the guy in front of you. But the guy in front of you has two arms, two legs and different things he can hit you with. So if you see something moving from one side, they can make you make that judgment of where you want to go defensively. You know, that see a little, see a lot. You see that one little twitch and you know where you have to go and enhancing yourself to see multiple targets at the same time is critical in that sport. How about skiing, snowboarding, uh, railing? What, what do they have to be thinking about? You know, yeah, so I mean, uh, injuries. Their sport happens quickly, right? So there's a high velocity in that sport. Um, you know, you have to make some quick decisions on, on on getting through different gates, especially if something doesn't go well. You catch an edge somewhere, and you got to recover on that. Um, contrast is huge. You look at you know reading the the moguls and the things on the on the snow. 
um, really challenging. We talked about reading the greens properly for golfers, but if you're not reading the snow properly uh, and you hit, you know, one of these, you know, ruts in the snow, it throws you off course, you lose time. Um, you know, if it's a jump that you're trying to hit properly as a snowboarder, um, you know, again, a big problem. So, you know, making sure you have the correct type of goggle and shield. And again, you can get a million different ones, right? But which is the right one for you to be able to see uh, your environment at the best that you can. And at the end, I think the, the fast moving targets and the reaction, the tracking would be great for them because you're having things move so quickly that the eyes really have to be at their maximum. And again, we're, we're maximizing that because we're looking at visual movements in milliseconds. And that's what we're quantifying. So we have milliseconds we can, we can quantify and see if they are where they belong, if they're not enhancing it to make sure that they are. How about polarization or mirrors? What, how do they, what does that do to help the uh, skier or, or the athlete? Yeah, so the polarization is really a, a way of, you know, kind of eliminating the glare and reflection effect from, from anything that would be out there. So, again, great for fishermen, great for people in water sports, great for people on the snow, which, again, is a water sport. So um, polarization is one of those things that helps to channel light. So all the stray light, all the glare, all the reflection can be channeled and come more directly through the lens so that we can get a more true image, more sharp image. And again, to your point earlier, more of kind of a high depth image. So if it's overcast, maybe an amber is good, but if it's really bright, maybe a gray is better? Exactly, yeah. I mean, we talked to some of our elite shooters and they have you know, a suitcase full of different lenses that they use for different lighting conditions for that reason. You know, if it's an overcast day, they're using a lighter you know, amber or yellow tint. If there's a darker day, maybe more gray tint, maybe a, a gray green somewhere in the middle. Uh, and then maybe they have that rose tint that they use to shoot inside or something like that. So, you know, they have a variety of different tints that they'll go to. They're some of the most educated vision uh, sports that we get, uh, vision athletes, is these shooters, they come in, they know what they want, they know what they've used, they know that it makes a difference when they're shooting different types of, of targets that are different colors. Um, so we learn a lot from shooters. How about extreme sports, like motocross and, you know, split seconds could be, mean life or death with these people? Absolutely. I mean, yeah, they're some of the most critical. I mean, a good friend of mine, Fred Edmonds, who talks a lot about that. He's a motocross guy. Uh, he's got a uh, vision uh, training clinic up there in Rochester area, New York. Um, he's done a ton of work with motocross over the years, just because again, to your point, that's, that's life and death, like nothing else. I mean, those guys are putting their life on the line. They love it. They're kind of adrenaline junkies. So they, they love what they do, but we certainly want to keep them as safe as possible doing what they do so they can keep doing it. Right. So, um, yeah, I think the reaction speed side of that, those sports, uh, the decision-making side, cause a lot of things probably go wrong, uh, that you didn't expect to go wrong when, when so many people are doing things at such high velocity, so being able to react split seconds and make a quick decision when somebody cuts in front of you to the left, go to the right. Um, I think those kind of things, if you put them into challenging training environments that makes their real world easy, that's the concept I'm always looking for. I thought it was really interesting. You talked about visor optics and that they peel it away because when, during motocross, you get stuff that sticks to the visor and yeah. takes away their vision. Yeah. How about boxers? Have you worked with boxers and... You talked about karate before. Yeah. How, how does how do we help them with their vision so they don't get pounded so much? Yeah. So I mean, I think it's very similar to the karate thing. You know, the multiple object tracking and being able to assess different um, you know parts of the the person in front of them. If it's MMA, you have again all four uh, limbs in play at the same time, which is you know at this point more popular than boxing, right? But you know, boxing you have the two gloves, you have their position, you have what they're doing, um, and again you. I think putting them under fatigue, putting them under duress, you know, the end of that three minute round can be the most challenging time because you're getting fatigued mentally as well to make sure you keep your guard up, make sure you're making good decisions. Um, and then obviously there's an injury management part of that sport, unfortunately. So managing things that happen afterwards. Uh, but I think, yeah, I mean, we want to be protected. We want to be effective in all of our sports. 
Um, so for me, boxing is something I've worked with, you know, several boxers through the years. And unfortunately, sometimes we get them after their career is over and, and things don't look so good. And you always wonder, you know, if I would have got you during your career and worked on some of these visual skills, would we have uh, kept you and your eyes looking a little bit better than they do today? So, yeah. Yeah, I know a lot of retinal detachments, a lot of, you know, Orbital a lot fractures of in the back. Yeah. So yeah. Dr. Gretchen Brewer, who's a friend of mine, who's a, an optometrist in Pennsylvania, wanted me to ask you for somebody who has a basic optometric practice, what are some of the basic skills they could, they could recommend to their patients that come in every once in a while to help them with sports vision? For somebody not like you, who's so sophisticated, but for the general optometrist out there to help their patients. Yeah, so again, I mean, we mentioned a couple of times sports vision pros. I mean, take a look at it. It's an educational resource for all of the clinicians out there, all the teams, all the doctors, all the parents, coaches, and athletes themselves to learn a bit about sports vision. Um, we, we, we talk about, you know, being able to deliver sports vision in a lot of different ways. Uh, this was something that was a priority for us in the AOA, the American Optometric Association, which is our national organization for optometrists. Uh, I was the chair of the, the Sports and Performance Vision Committee. Dr. Nanasi, who's going to be on with you next month, did the same thing after me. Uh, Dr. Horn, Dr. Cunningham, my partners on Sports Vision Pros have done this, you know, because of our passion for our, our community and optometrists um, that do the same thing we do. Uh, and we've, we've been very vocal of the fact that you don't have to be a specialist to deliver sports vision. You don't have to invest in tens of thousands of dollars of equipment to do a depth perception test, to look at eye alignment and phorias, as you mentioned, uh, to maximize clarity and acuity, to test contrast, uh, and to look at things that can be done in a general exam lane uh, to make sure that those first two phases of the pyramid are probably assessed properly. I think once you get up to that third phase, you're talking about processing, there's probably an investment there to be able to find a technology to give you some quantifiable metric on processing. Those first two phases of the pyramid should be able to assess in every optometric practice anywhere in the world with the technology that all of us have. So building in a depth perception test, doing a contrast test, maximizing vision, looking at eye tracking and eye movements, and you know, again, just relating to them as athletes. So you know, making sure that you know, you're speaking to them in their language and, and taking seriously the fact that they you know, play tennis uh, on the weekends at the club and they still want to maximize and, and play their sport at their best. You know, Nike used to say everyone with a body is an athlete. So you, know, you want to make sure that everyone has the ability to play whatever they play at their best, regardless of the fact they're 65 years old playing at the tennis club or they're 12 years old playing Little League or you know, 22 years old and playing for a World Series. So um, you know, we want every one of the clinicians to be comfortable enough with those basic skills tests to be able to deliver it to anyone. And then if they get to that point where they maybe want to refer out for that until they invent their, their own technology or invest in their own technology, um, making that bridge. We're all on the same team here. So you know, just trying to uh, make sure our athletes are, are maximizing their capability. Does the Nationals give the sports vision optometrist a ring, a, cha a World Series ring? Thankfully, yes. It's pretty special. I yeah. bet that must be something. My last question I have to ask you is a little controversial about laser vision correction. Now, sometimes people after LASIK or laser vision correction get aberrations. So with a contact lens, they're not going to get aberrations, but they could get it after LASIK. Now, from experience, I don't know if there's any studies on it, but from experience, do you notice that after LASIK, if it affects people's performance, if it makes it better, worse, the same, and how it affects contrast because of the possible having distortions? Yeah, I would say, you know, I've had the great fortune of working with amazing uh, laser surgery uh, docs for 20 years that I've been in practice. I have not had a knock on wood, you hate to say anything like this, but I've not had a negative effect of any of my athletes in laser vision correction over 20 years. Um, I think ultimately you have to speak, you know, intelligently to those possibilities. 
and open up the door that you know this is an elective procedure. And if someone can wear contact lenses competently and successfully, you know, maybe that's less of a risk for the end of their career. Uh, if they're a pitcher versus a position player in baseball, maybe that's something where we can be more liberal with pitchers, but uh, be a little bit more um, concerned about you know the process for a hitter. Um, but ultimately, I think if it's done right and you use the technology that's out there, uh, the success can be amazing. And we've had uh, athletes do some pretty incredible things after laser surgery as well. I think it's just a matter of just like anything else, you kind of get what you pay for. So make sure you're going to good people that are doing it right. And um, the effects can be really, uh, I think, the same or better than contact lenses. Uh, I wouldn't say that they've been worse for me, but I also wouldn't say that they've been dramatically better. A lot of times it's just someone who didn't feel like wearing contact lenses. They couldn't physically put them in their eye. It always gave them difficulty, always gave them irritation, um, didn't want to wear glasses. And so it was more kind of out of convenience than is my vision going to be better with laser surgery? That was never really the conversation for me. It was more, I need vision to be better and I just can't do the glasses or contact lens thing. Excellent. I want to thank Dr. Keith Smithson for joining me today. If people want to find out more about you, get in touch with you, how can they do that? Yeah, so sportsvisionpros.com is our connection point, uh, meant to be sort of the Google of sports vision. So if there's questions out there that you have related to uh, specific tints and glasses, you know, contact lens technologies, uh, sports training technologies, sports training techniques, what can I do with my team? What can I do with my athlete? What can I do with my son? Uh, visit us on Sports Vision Pros. You can connect with us anytime. Uh, we have a lot of fun doing it, and it's something that we're all passionate about. So uh, reach out anytime. And uh, Doc, thanks for having me. This is a lot of fun, and I was looking forward to it. So this, this, is, this is cool, man. You're a wealth of knowledge, and tell Juan Soto that my that is my son's favorite ball player. Yeah, so I'm sure he has a lot of uh, he has a lot of kids that are his favorite player. So he's a uh, guy, and uh, yeah, I'm, I'm just thrilled and fortunate and blessed to be around him. So uh, yeah, pretty pretty cool. I will. Well, thanks so much for joining me today. This is Dr. Kerry Gell for Open Your Eyes. Until next time, stay healthy, stay safe. Fitting multifocal contact lenses presents a big opportunity to meet patient needs while growing your practice. Alcon is your partner, not only with our innovative portfolio, but through e-learning. Learn to enhance your multifocal strategy today with the Alcon Experience Academy. Since I bought Safe For You, my dad makes me clean his boat. It's natural y es un buen producto. Every time I go back to school, my mom always makes sure that I have my Safe For You products. I bring extra and my roommates certainly don't mind. It's a good thing I had Safe For You to clean up after this little guy. When my hands get dry, I like to wash them with Safe For You. And most importantly, the reason why I buy Safe For You is because it's safe for me and you.